Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. And this is Chris. This is Adam. And tonight we're going to be giving our hot take review on the game we just finished playing, Earth. But before we do, I have a poll topic that's kind of related. I said nature, birds, plants, wildlife has been a very popular theme in board games in recent years. How do you feel about it as a game theme? And the options I gave were love it, which got 32%, like it if done right, which got 39%, variety is good at 21%, and will avoid at 8%. If you're interested in interacting with these polls, you can follow us on Twitter at BG underscore hot takes or follow our Facebook group, Board Game Hot Takes. And we'd love to hear from you. Well, how did you guys answer this? What, what do you think about nature-themed board games? I like nature as a theme, and I think the answer that I gave was it's a good one if done right. Because there are some themes that are just exciting enough and interesting enough that I'll kind of lean toward a game because it has a particularly interesting theme. Usually that has to do with sci-fi or something along those lines. Nature, I love. I mean, I am a huge fan of nature. I love hiking. I love doing things outdoors. But I'm happy to get my nature fixed by actually being outdoors. So if there's a game that has a good nature theme and it has good mechanisms and it's implemented well and the art and the production are good, I love it. I think it's great. Cascadia, for example, is a, a perfect example. A little bit off of the nature topic exactly, but Parks is another one that I really enjoy. But if a game doesn't do it well, then just having it be nature themed isn't going to draw me in that much. I agree with you, Chris. I totally agree with you. I think I put the same exact answer. I know I put the same exact answer. Like it if it's done right. You know, you mentioned parks and then they also have the nightfall expansion, which has lots of stars, which is kind of like outer space and aliens and science fiction, right? So I think I think science fiction is part of nature as no, I'm stretching <laughs> a little bit. I uh I, I like the nature theme as well, especially if it's done right. You mentioned Cascadia. I think that's fun. I like the change of pace from like hard fantasy, your trolls and your orcs and your elves and stuff. And it's a nice change of pace from farming in the Mediterranean or resource trading in the Mediterranean. You know, there's so many unique topics and things to explore out there in life that I have no clue about. I always appreciate it when a publisher comes with a new theme. Having said that, you know, I don't even mind trading in the Mediterranean if it's done right. If it's a good enough game, I think that conquers all. But uh, I do appreciate a nice theme. And you know what? More and more, I there's no reason, there's no excuse not to have an interesting theme with some nice mechanisms to match. What'd you say, Tim? Yeah, I would have fallen. I didn't answer the poll because it's my poll. That doesn't seem fair. But I would have answered somewhere between like it if done right or variety is good. Uh, I think I probably would have fallen on like it if done right, because there are some really great nature themed games when they're done right. And then some that just don't strike my fancy. They just don't seem interesting. But I, I, you know, variety is good. And I think as long as there's variety, it's great. And I think maybe the problem for nature themed games for me lately is that there are so many of them coming out right now that they're just start starting to seem less interesting, like they're not standing out. But I do think it has a lot to just do with how it's implemented. I mean, Wingspan kind of took the world by storm. And I think part of that was just the beautiful artwork and the, you know, the implementation and a fun, you know, an interesting game mechanism. And, you know, Cascadia is a great example that Chris mentioned, which also somehow worked. But I think it was a combination of the mechanism and the theme. On, the, on another hand, a game that is kind of nature themed to me is Arc Nova. And I think what strikes me with Arc Nova is that creating a zoo is a fun idea and it's not just about collecting plants or just about seeing wildlife but you're you're doing all these things including like charitable donations and building kiosks to sell stuff and and this interesting fun mix of stuff so somehow arc nova kind of stood out to me if you're talking you know it's not really just fully nature themed but it, it has that natural element it's really focused on the animals and that one stood out in a lot of ways that some of the other nature themed games are kind of missing the mark for me um, it's interesting because just yesterday, Elizabeth Hargrave posted on Twitter about her game, that, which is about to go to Kickstarter, and it's a mushroom theme game. And she made a comment saying, like, I'm excited to put this out. I think it's the best game I've ever made. But also, I'm kind of worried about being late to market because I just looked and there's like eight other mushroom theme games, including a new one that just came out yesterday <laughs> yeah. on Kickstarter, which Adam was just talking about. And I'm excited to see what Elizabeth Hargrave's next game 
does because she's had some cool ideas in the past. But it will have a lot to do with how the production comes across. Adam, you gave us a link to what is it, Mycotopia, or what's the name of that game? Mycelium is the one. It's an area area control mushroom game. That's freaking sounds amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, cool idea. Like at least a, you know a kind of a unique mix of mechanisms and theme, but also the theme itself, the production looked cool. Like yeah. it, it just had a really neat production on it. Really interesting way to present the artwork. And so it's, you know, it's a mix of that. Sometimes it's going to draw me in and say, hey, I got to take another look at that. Maybe the mechanisms will strike my fancy. And a lot of the time it's just going to be like, it's grass. I don't really need to even take a closer look at it, right? It doesn't stand out. So Tim, maybe your poll question should have been, do mushrooms draw you in as a theme? Because apparently that's where it is these days. Yeah. And just a fun little side note, the largest living organism in the world happens to be right here in Oregon, I believe Northeast Oregon, the humongous fungus, which spreads out over something like, I don't know, 30 square miles or something like that. So booyah, there needs to be a game about that. Is there just one humongous fungus on the planet? Is like that? Is that the only one or are these, are these kind of all over the place and that's just the largest one? That's not the only one. I believe it is the largest one. And I'm sure that somebody is going to call me on this one if anybody's listening and is paying attention. I, I, could be, there, I could be getting a detail wrong, but I think I'm right. I'm a bit skeptical, Chris. I've heard that before. On the, There's that documentary on Netflix that's all about the, the fungi and the mycelium and the way it spreads out. But I, I don't know how many areas of the globe have been surveyed for the both the biggest fungus. You know, there's some sparse areas out there that no one's looked at, I'm sure, where maybe mycelia dominates. And who's to say which one's the biggest? All right. Skeptic. Yeah. Are you in the are you in the Bigfoot apologist camp as well, Adam? Like we haven't looked at every single forest. <laughs> I didn't know there was a Bigfoot apologist camp. I'm in the Bigfoot skeptic. I'm in the Bigfoot skeptical camp. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think there's a Bigfoot, but I could be wrong. Please prove me wrong with some some shoddy video. Uh, that'll definitely that'll definitely help your case. <laughs> All right. Well, here's how some people answered. And again, if you want to respond to these polls, we do often read answers online. You can respond on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, Sarah G said it's pretty much an insta buy for me. Cascadia and Meadow are two of my all time faves. Honorable mentioned Encyclopedia, Kohaku, and In the Footsteps of Darwin. Well, Fog Brother said, I love more sci-fi and fantasy themes, but those are not for everyone. A nature theme is very welcoming for players of all types. Mechanics have to be good, though. Uh, Board Game Souls said, prefer variety. It was a nice change from sci-fi and fantasy, but it's getting played out too now. Nick said, I picked like if done right. Themes shouldn't feel pasted on. When I think of it done right, I think of photosynthesis with the aging of the trees and the shadows the different trees give off in relation to the sun. When playing, I feel the nature vibe. So I think a pretty general agreement that uh, nature is fine for the most part if it's done right. And that's how most people feel about it. Well, cool. The reason I brought up that poll, of course, was because we are reviewing Earth tonight. And Earth is an kind of all in on the nature theme. It feels like they took every nature themed board game that was made in the last three years and tried to nature the nature out of it and uh, turn it into a board game. So with that said, let's jump into a description of Earth. So Earth is the game that proves the world really is flat. And not just flat, it's actually square. I'm just kidding. In Earth, one to five players are forces of nature playing flora, terrain, and event cards to build up an island with the perfect ecosystem, or at least the one that meets the most scoring objectives. At its heart, Earth is essentially a tableau in engine building game in which players build out their islands in the form of a 4x4 grid of cards. Thematically, these cards are flora or terrain, but functionally, each card provides a number of different benefits. Some provide special abilities, others provide endgame scoring opportunities, most provide places where players can place sprouts, which are forms of currency in the game, or build up their vegetation as trunks or canopy. There's a million variations that would take me probably about a week to cover comprehensively. But again, the bottom line is that each of these cards provides some function or benefit, and it's the player's job to build up their island in the way that capitalizes on their card's synergies and takes advantage of endgame scoring opportunities. In terms of the round structure, Earth provides a clever mechanism by which the active player chooses one of four potential actions to get a powerful version of that action. Things like planting, composting, watering, or growing, each of which provides an opportunity to place cards into the tableau, 
adds sprouts to existing cards, and a number of other benefits that we'll get into a little bit more when we start doing the review. And after the active player is done, all the other players will then get to take a somewhat less powerful version of that same action. Then players will activate, in a prescribed order, any benefits provided on the cards in their tableau that match up with the color of the current action. Sounds a little confusing? Well, actually not so much. The variations are really endless with each card providing a unique mechanism that's going to interact with all the other cards in the player's tableau. And that's a lot of stuff, but rest assured that when you're actually looking at real cards in an actual tableau, it'll make a lot more sense and seem a lot less mysterious. The game will end when one player completes their 4x4 grid and each player has had an equal number of turns. At that point, players will tally their endgame points based on objectives on various private cards, the vegetation on their cards, and so forth. There will also be several fauna cards that provide endgame scoring goals with big points. After adding all this up, the player with the most points will be the winner. Earth was designed by Maxime Tardif and is published by Inside Up Games. Thanks for that description, Chris. Uh, All three of us have played several games of this, or at least two games on Board Game Arena at this point. Um, Some of them async tonight, I think, was our first real-time play. All three of us played together. Let's jump into the gameplay mechanisms. I want to start with what is my favorite part of this game, and I think the most interesting and the thing that might bring me back to it, and that is the, the huge variety. But what I think I like the most is the variety in your individual card choices at the beginning. Everybody's going to get to choose an island. You can get to choose like a uh, habitat and ecosystem, I think, are the three things. And they all give you some unique abilities. It's your starting, uh, you know, resources and hand size. It's going to be some abilities that will trigger unique for you and then some end game scoring thing. So that's a fun choice. And then there's also uh, four kind of in-game goals that everybody is going to be working towards together. And it's a little bit of a race. Whoever gets there first gets the most points and then some end game scoring goals as well. So what that did is it created a whole lot of competing goals that you were going for. And I I like that in games. I like when, when games give you lots of different directions to pursue. You have to pick what's going to be the most effective for you. That was probably my favorite part of Earth. And multitudinous they were as <laughs> opportunities for scoring to the point where, I mean, I think I probably could have spent a half an hour just looking over the various options at the beginning of this game. Because you start by having to pick, I forget, what were the three? You had to pick a, an island card, you had to pick an ecosystem card, and a terrain card. Am I remembering that right? I think that's right. Basically, your three starter cards that are going to set the stage for the what you're going to be doing, what your goals might be, what your, you know, your basic abilities might be that might trigger when somebody takes an action. I mean, there was a lot of stuff happening in there. Tim, I'm taking from what you said that you liked having that many options available to you at the outset. Well, to be clear, we played the advanced game tonight, which basically gives you two of each of those cards and they're all double sided. So you have essentially four choices on each of those three things to make a choice from. If you play the normal game, I think you just have one of each of those cards and then you pick either side of it. So it limits the choices a little bit more. I don't think you need to play the advanced mode here. I mean, I, I don't think that we needed to. I think the two choices would have been fun enough to play around with and would have limited that a little bit. But it wasn't just about the choice. It was that about once they were on my board, it gave me something to think about what what I was going to be pursuing. It gave me some reason to pick one card over another in my hand because there's a lot of cards you're looking at and a lot of different things that they're going to trigger off of. So yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, starter cards are akin to the prelude cards in Terraforming Mars, I would say. Something to get you going and give you a little direction to start your engine running in a certain direction. I noted this during the gameplay. The the amount of points and the ways in which you can score points, I felt like this game was just handing out points left and right. Sometimes coincidentally, oh, I played this card here and oh, I'm... I met this game condition. I, at the end of the game, I played a card. I was going for one specific in-game condition. I ended up meeting some other condition for some other card, too. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll take that. And I wish I could plan it out that well, but no, I, I can never do that. I don't know. I prefer a game that's a little more focused, whereas this one, on a second play, and that's a second play only, I felt like the points were just being handed out left and right. Almost felt like the point scoring was secondary or tertiary to... You know, building your little island and putting these cards out, which for me brought me tons of joy because this game is beautiful and it celebrates Earth and all of the amazing things about the planet that I love. So that was kind of my least favorite part was how unfocused the point scoring was. But I absolutely loved 
building this tableau and organizing. I like how these things trigger off top, bottom, left or right. I didn't see the significance in that yet on a second play, but I'm sure with more plays, you're going to see how that integrates in and how you can uh, earn yourself a few more cubes, a few more points running that. So just some neat mechanisms here. Nothing specific I'm calling out just yet, but just the whole point salad-iness of this was a little meh. But the gameplay here was amazing. Well, I, I don't disagree about the point saladiness being too much, but um, let's focus on something positive for just a little bit longer here. And that is, for me, the other thing that I, I did like was when you took one of these four actions. And, and I'll start by saying that I don't really love these lead follow mechanisms in games or many other games that do it. I just feel like the advantage of being the first player is too slight. It's not that interesting. Let, you know, I don't know. It it just, I just don't, I never enjoy it. It it doesn't matter what game it is. And so this does it. One of the things I did like though is that they did link the cards in your tableau that which ones we're going to activate with each action was based on the action you took. So it gave you a little bit of another reason to choose one of those four actions instead of just the base benefit. You could also look at your tableau and say, oh, I'm going to trigger three green cards this time, or I'm going to trigger two blue cards and see what those benefits were. So kind of an interesting tableau builder here. I mean, really, that's what this game is. It's just a card-based tableau builder, but the tableau triggered a lot of interesting and, and unique ways. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about the triggering of the actions. And, and let me go back and explain a little bit more about that for folks, because I didn't get into it in any depth in the game description, because you know, there's there's a lot to say about it. And what these guys have been talking about is that each action is attached to a color, you know, red, brown, whatever, for the four different actions. And then each of the cards that you play out has one of those four different colors, and most of them anyway, some of them don't. But most of them have one of those four colors and then an action associated with it. And the idea there is that when you take the red action, then you're going to end up triggering all your red cards. But that has to happen, like Adam said, in a very prescribed order. It has to start in the top left and go across and then next row down and then across left to right and then left to right third and left to right on the fourth row. And so really this part of it is a huge equation. You're basically programming in the order in which you're going to be triggering all these cards. I had this thought at the beginning of the game that like I could I could figure this out. If I sat down here long enough, there isn't a way to figure out the absolute most efficient, most effective, synergistic way of placing all these cards. And I could I could sit here for a week doing it, but it could be done. And in that way, it was very mathematical. Yeah, so more about this triggering thing, it's all simultaneous too, right? So unlike Race for the Galaxy, where, where every player picks, so say there's four players and there's, I don't know, five or six different phases of that, and everybody picks a, a phase that they want to do that turn, And then it goes phase one, phase two, and everybody gets the weaker action uh, if they didn't pick that phase specifically. Here, it'll be Tim's turn to go first. He picks what action he wants, and then everybody gets to activate the weaker version of that action, including their tableau. So it's almost like this space space thing where you can't leave the table you can't go <laughs> go pee if you need to go pee you got to be constantly it's, you're going to be doing something all the time whether exchanging green cubes to build a little tree or you're gonna compost some cards there's always going to be some activity that you're doing it's constant engagement in this game so i thought that was nice it's um well it could be nice or it could be too much right you're just going back it's like a stock exchange like chicago you know like the (laughs) the stock market where you're like two two down down up one (laughs) sell sell bye bye you know pork bellies you know what are you gonna do so there is just it's a very busy there's a lot of busy work it's non-stop fiddling with cues throwing them here throwing them there but you know i didn't mind it in this case i thought that was kind of a fun activity and a uh, it's engaging constant engagement i don't know if that's a mechanism but i'm gonna call it one here well let me counterpoint to that in that i didn't think that any of the activities you were actually doing that the trading resources the adding sprouts changing sprouts in for cards trading cards in for spores. for spores yeah trading spores in for growth tokens trading growth tokens in for dirt none of that was very fun to me this felt like the the one thing that i really didn't like about wingspan which was kind of the egg spamming thing right it's like you're putting eggs out on thing that's cool they're worth a point each 
but then you spend the eggs to do other actions and then you're going to put more eggs on and it's just it just becomes a dull part of the game and this it just it has it in droves it's like why am i putting these sprout tokens on on this thing because they're a point each well that's not very fun but sometimes i can trade those points for other things i didn't find that action you know those actions fun at all the only the only fun part for me was when you were actually getting to choose the card to play and thinking about how that was gonna you know synergize with the end game goals and stuff like that like that to me was a fun part pretty much all the actions that were triggering after you played your card or after you you know with any other actions that it just felt like adding up points so i just didn't find those actions to be very interesting to be doing and i think they just get redundant right like they're all pretty much a small collection of trade this thing for this thing or add this thing or subtract this thing to get this other thing one of the ways to get points here is discard cards out of your hand that's not fun so i'm discarding cards out of my hand to get a point well i got a lot of points for discarding cards but i got to play with a lot less cards that kind of sucked so yeah i just i just didn't have a lot of fun doing all those actions that triggered on the on the the player you know like when you triggered your tableau well we've been talking about all these sprouts and it wasn't just the sprouts. There was also, I don't even know what they're called. Those little trees the where you build up the tree that goes upwards. Yeah, the growth, growth tokens. Yeah, and where there is the canopy. And so in my mind, as we're talking through this, I'm trying to catalog all the different things that scored you points. Like you got points for the points associated with each card. There was a point value for it. There was points for how many bits of vegetation you had, the canopy on your card. You had points for how many sprouts were on your card. You had points for how many discarded cards you have. You have, I mean, there must have been about 40 different things that gave you points. And I'm not sure if this is what you were alluding to, Tim, but some of them just didn't feel that impactful. It's like, oh, okay, a bunch of random little, you know, the green cubes, the sprouts on my card. Or I thought it was a little bit more interesting, the trees that you were building up, because once you got to the top, which was the canopy, then you got a little extra bonus for having a three token tall tree. That third token means you got an extra couple points for it. So that was a little bit more fun. It wasn't just chucking stuff down on a card. But I mean, there was also the end game goals. There was the end game, the animal card, the fauna cards. And there was the, I don't even remember what they were called. Those, the extra ones that we played because we were using the, the advanced version. I mean, I, I can't keep track of all the different places where there were points being scored. And in fact, as we were playing, I was thinking, I'm rocking this thing. I got this thing going on and I got that thing going on. And I look over and Tim's got like 75 cards in his discard pile and his compost. And I'm going, well, <laughs> what if, he's going to win because he's got all these cards in compost and Adam's got all these trees and I can't even keep track of what's happening. And it wasn't until we actually saw the end game points tallied up that I had any clue what was actually happening or who was leading or what was going on. Yeah, so we were all around 200 points in i think the game was about an hour and a half here on board game arena so i don't that's a lot that's a just a point fest points being chucked at yeah i don't know is that two points per minute or something like that that's a lot of points no it's more than that it's like yeah slightly over two points per minute <laughs> i don't know if you want to get crazy and do the math do the math on that there's a lot of points uh coming at you and i agree with you chris like the you have no clue who's going to score what at least i didn't so i think it comes down again like terraforming mars those what are they called the uh, milestones and the awards mm. i think it came down to that you were first on a couple of those and you got like i don't know so some of those maybe that's what who knows again if you're going to play this game i think you have to be focused on enjoying planet earth and some of the sites it has to see and and having fun with your tableau and looking at these you know we're getting to a production and theme here in a little bit but uh you know the beauty of this game brought me a lot of joy more than the point scoring did. Well, let's jump into the production and theme. I think that's a great transition here. Um, I'll start with the artwork, which I think is just photographs. They look like super high resolution nature photographs. And I loved every single one of them. If it's a close up of a plant, if it was a picture of some dirt on the ground, if it was a picture of trees from a distance, all of these are beautiful artwork. And one of the things that we didn't talk about when we had the poll at the beginning about why some of these nature themed games work. One thing I wanted to mention is that 
one of the reasons why they can be fun is because there's usually some facts. You're, you're learning something from them. And this game does a really cool job of that. You know, it, it would, it'll represent like a type of plant and it'll show the categories that it's in. But there's a little fact down at the bottom of it, you know, and so you just learn. You're just like, hey, that's a that's a cool plant I've never seen before. That's a mm-hmm. oh, that's something interesting. I didn't know about that type of soil before. And so I think the the artwork and the the we'll call it flavor text, but the fact text on the bottom of it was just fun to to be sitting there looking at when I was waiting for somebody else to finish their turn and I didn't have anything to do. So I did I did enjoy the production on the cards themselves. So the flavor text was interesting. I learned a few things in there too. But the rest of that, I think I've got to dissent a little bit on because these were photographs of plants. And that's fine. I mean, they were very pretty. But, you know, I think I've gotten to a point where I hope for a little bit more in terms of my production and and part of the reason part this actually goes back to the poll question from earlier this is about as generic as you can get in terms of a nature based theme i mean earth okay i mean well, okay watch out because adam is shaking his head yeah like you're getting the yokohama treatment from fair adam enough right that, gonna, all, he wants to disagree so much with you right now that's all that's all right but i'm before him in the turn order so i get to say <laughs> <laughs> so okay here here's what i mean parks Parks is interesting as it pertains to nature because it's about a very specific thing. It's about going to national parks and seeing beautiful things. Wingspan is about a very specific thing. It's about birds and how birds interact. This mycology, it's about how fungus engages in area control. Earth is about Earth. It's about, I don't know, everything, plant, ecosystem. It's like it's it's too unfocused. It's too unfocused the same way that the point scoring was too unfocused here. The theme is... It's pretty and it's fine. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, but it just it did not it did not contain the focus that keeps my interest for this kind of a game. Now, no, Adam, please tell me why I'm wrong. Chris, I I think you're an amazing human being, and I'm glad you're back from Ireland. <laughs> but but you are so incredibly wrong about the the cards here. They are striking. Look at these cards. Every one of them has beautiful lighting and it's bamboo forest right you look at oh oh, that's just bamboo no you look at this one it's from the bottom looking up and then there's these lights at the top of these bamboo it looks amazing it looks uncanny there's this like i don't know jungle garden one there's a there's this marshlands this swamp and a tundra or something and it's just all of these photos yes they're photos they are striking they're beautiful landscape photography showing the vastness and the beauty of earth and then it has that sentence or two underneath like tim was talking about to bring it home to make it real oh this is a real spot i can go visit on the planet and explore for myself i can't believe it it brings me this sense of excitement i want to go see the planet i want to go to that spot i had one that was giant's causeway I think it was. It looked a lot like Giant's Causeway, and it was a river. It was like an in-game scoring, so if you had droplets connected, kind of like, a, what was it, prairie salmon or whatever. It was similar to that in Cascadia. So, And it was just beautiful. I wanted to play it just so you guys could see it. I ended up having to discard it or compost it or something, but photographs are beautiful here. So, Chris, you're wrong. Tim, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, w- I agree with Adam on this. Now, obviously, art and art direction is subjective, but personally, I would prefer this type of art, this beautiful natural photography over something like Beth Sobel's art on Cascadia or almost any of her art. I mean, her, her drawn nature is, is fine. It's pretty, it represents the things, but those type of, uh, you know, base illustrations aren't as interesting to me as the, the beauty of actually taking these close up photos of, of flowers and plants and stuff like that. Um, there are, but Chris, you mentioned parks and that's a great example where that is an exemplary, uh, you know, contrast because it is such unique amazing artwork this this you know these classic park posters that were used but the game was built around the the posters because they were so great so if somebody had come in here and just illustrated each of these things i don't think i would have liked them as much as seeing these photographs these crisps high definition photographs of places that you would never see otherwise so you know from an artwork perspective i'm more on team adam here from a theme perspective i actually kind of like what this is doing here the idea that you're, everyone starts with an island. You've got just this barren island. It's got nothing on it, but it's got a certain climate. It's got a certain you know terrain to it. And then the force of nature is going to start building up this island. Certain things are going to start to grow. 
you know, every turn there's a, there's a plant action or that, that could be taken. And there's, there's new plants growing there. There might be new soil that's developing. And so each of our islands is developing differently. This four by four grid or whatever size it ends up being, ends up being the finished island that you've got. And each of our islands is unique. It's all evolved in a different way. Some of us have even attracted some fauna because of the way that our uh, island developed. And I think from a theme perspective, it's really cool. Now, laid out as a four by four grid of cards on the table, it doesn't look like an island. And that's maybe a bit of a gap. But the theme of it is cool. Although, what are these forces of nature? Are we gods? <laughs> Am I god to you? I Good mean, question. So I, that's interesting. But I, I think it's kind of a cool, I think it's a cool theme that it's like each of us is just a different habitat developing in a different way because that's what nature does. And I, I think that's pretty neat. So I'm going to get myself in trouble for this one. Adam, start smirking or whatever. I'll do it. But I'm going to invoke terraforming Mars for the second time tonight. And I don't remember which one of you guys, I think it was Tim, made this comment when we reviewed terraforming Mars, which is infamous for its bad artwork. And the comment was something like, yeah, I think this is intended to be like pictures from some future history book talking about these various things that happened. That's kind of how I felt looking at the cards in this one. They were fine. The pictures were nice. I felt like I was looking at a textbook. Once again, shameful, Chris, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to move on to the production here. I think these are cards done right. They're all, they're easy to parse the information, not to mention these spectacular photos in the middle of all these things. You've got the icons, which are easily discernible after about, for me, after about like 45 to 50 minutes. They, oh, that's what's going on here. The icons are all there. The actions are all there. The colors are, it's all color coded so you can know what's going on. And it's, it's going to be easy to parse the information quickly as you're moving along, running your engine, trying to intake the information that these cards are trying to relay. I think it's extremely well presented and it's done succinctly it's not like you know uh, the space core 20 whatever whatever by gmt has these little tiny satellite pictures or rocket pictures and then this goofy color palette this is the opposite of that it's all pleasing to look at it's easy to discern very impressed with the production here as far as information presentation on these cards yeah. So some of the other production points I want to mention, and I agree, I think that the presentation, once we understood the icons and they're actually spelled out on the bottom, it, you know, in, if you're, I'm looking at a picture of the kind of each player's player board and they're, all the icons are actually pretty well spelled out right on the bottom of the player board. So I agree. These cards are easy to parse. There's a lot of icons on them, but most of them are just little symbols that represent things that are going to be triggering other things. So I think that that works really well. Most of the information, the cost of it, the point value of it, the effects of it is all really quick easy to read. So 100% agree on that. A um, couple things I don't like about the production. The growth tokens, which are these little stackable things, that ends up building like the cylinder up. And some of them might only be one to four high. That may be not so bad. And then you put a cap on it, a unique colored cap on it when it's done. First of all, these don't look like anything in nature to me. They look like towers or phalluses. They do not look like a mushroom. They don't look like a tree, but it's supposed to be like a tree with a canopy on it, I guess, like the top of the tree. It doesn't look like a tree. Secondly, I think these things are going to get knocked all over the place. We didn't play it in person, but I mean, I'm looking at a picture here and this thing is like eight tall and there's no way that I don't reach across bump one of these cards and knock this all over the table. So I thought that was a weird choice. I mean, I get what they're, they're trying to show growth on this island, but uh, I don't think it works particularly well. The other thing I don't like, the sprout tokens, which are just little green cubes. It's cool. They're, they're green cubes, I guess, because they're less expensive to make or something like that, but not very thematic. Um, other than that, though, that's the, that's the only negatives I have about the production. I agree with Adam. Otherwise, on the production, I think the player boards are nice. I think the cards are beautiful. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty presentation on the table for sure. Chris is done. <laughs> I think I've, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I, I agree with all the stuff about the mediocre cubes and things and the art I've already said my piece on. So <laughs> take it back, Chris, take it back. It, it was, it was, <laughs> no, I'm not taking it back. It was okay. It was fine. All right. Well, let's ask the final question, which we do every week. And that is, would you request to play this game again? No. The game was okay. I, I didn't dislike the game. I didn't hate it. Uh, it was, you know, fairly entertaining. I would not ask to play it, certainly 
in real life, I think because of all the the reasons that you just said, Tim, the floppiness of the, you know, having the, the cards laid out in a certain way and knocking them around probably and the cubes and the little plants and all those little things that are not going to stay in place very nicely. Also, when we were playing, you had commented about how, you know, we would have spent a half an hour to score in this thing up at the end with all the various points you had to you count up. Yeah. On BGA, not so bad. The game does all the upkeep for you, and that's really nice. And so I think this is a would be a reasonably it's a reasonably good game to play on BGA. I also think it's a little tougher async with BGA because you have all these things happening simultaneously. So it's a little bit like Lagranha in the sense, I think, that you'd have various things happening and, you know, there's four or five things happening and then there's a bunch of clicks to move past certain things before the next person could take their turn. So a real-time game on BGA, reasonably entertaining. I don't don't want to truck with this thing in any other format. Chris, unlike your thoughts on the production, I couldn't agree with you more and how I would play this game. I would not request to play it again. And the only time I would play it again is real-time on board game arena because there is all this fiddly little nuggets of stuff flying around and you're gonna have to wait for everyone we tried this one async before on board game arena and it's like what we're still on turn number two oh, what's going on here mm-hmm. because they're all the, the simultaneousness of all the the phases and the way this game is constructed it's just more conducive to a real-time playing and like I said, you're going to be, if it is, you're doing it in real life, you're going to be playing like nonstop. Like you're going to have to take a intermission to go use the bathroom, grab some snacks at some point. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would not request to play this one again, not even real time on board game arena. If somebody had it, um, you know, if somebody was eager to play it real time on board game arena, I'd do that. I'd be hesitant to accept the async on board game arena. I'd probably do it despite the beauty here and the production and everything else. Nope, not going to request to play this one again. Well, I, this might be one of the few that all three of us agreed on this. I also wouldn't request to play it. Now, I didn't hate it. I, I've enjoyed my plays just fine. If somebody really want to play it, be happy to play it, right? It's it's not a bad game. I think it's got some interesting objectives, interesting goals. I like objectives. I like you know different goals to go towards. And uh, I wouldn't mind playing it, but I didn't get enough fun out of it to want to go back to it. I don't mind playing it async on board game arena either. That's probably where I'll play it the most. When like listeners want to play or whatever, I'll, I'll join them into a game. Uh, but I would definitely not be searching this out. This um, felt very similar to some other Tableau builders that we've talked about in the past. I'd say the closest comparison for me, it felt like Wingspan a lot, right? You're building, it's all about building a Tableau of cards so that have uh, relational you know, awareness as far as when you activate them and things like that. I think it's a little less approachable than Wingspan. I think Wingspan's easier to teach. It's a little bit quicker for people to get into, but otherwise it felt very similar. There's no interaction. You're racing for some goals against other players. Otherwise you're building your own tableau with uh, you know, kind of a point salad that you're going for. It, it felt so much like Wingspan, just heavier. It felt a little bit like Arc Nova in that there's a lot of different symbols you're trying to match up, although they didn't have as many restrictions for what you're doing with them. Uh, but you have to look at all these symbols and see what they're, how they compare, how do you use them against other things. Arc Nova is a lot more interesting to me, though. It's got a lot more stuff going on. And when I think about the other Tableau builders that I really love that are maybe this weight, Terraforming Mars, Arc Nova, Underwater Cities, all of these games actually have other stuff than just your Tableau going on. The Tableau is one element of it, and it's not just about building up cubes on, on your cards maybe some cards do that but most of the time it's like hey i'm building this card because it's going to give me another effect that's going to let me do this other thing and there's just so much more variety in what you're actually doing in those games versus this game i guess there's few actions you're essentially putting cubes on putting towers on taking them off turning it into dirt turning the dirt into another card and that cycle just wasn't as interesting as most of those other more complex tableau builders are. So I think this added overhead that does probably make it a little bit more interesting to me than Wingspan, but would make it harder to bring new people into and a little bit harder to teach. But yeah, it's still just like Wingspan. It's just not a game that got me excited. It's 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 not going to you know bring me back to the table. So yeah, Earth, pretty, but I think I think we'll move on from it. So let's talk about some games that are on our table right after this. Welcome back. Adam, what, do you, what have you had on your table this week? Well, I have had Scout on the table. A little late to the party here, but it is a... It's not 
necessarily a trick taker. It's what they call a ladder climber. So think of the game that the drinking game that we played in college. Yeah, what was that called? I was thinking of that the other day. What's we it? called it asshole. Yeah, so that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the old drinking game. That's the that's the ladder, that's ladder climber game. And it was a fantastic game in college, <laughs> and you know, it got the party started. And so that's where somebody plays a five, and you, so you want to get rid of all your cards. Somebody plays a five, and the next person plays a ten, and the next person plays an ace. Oh, and what are you going to do now? Oh, well, now I'm going to play a pair of fours because that beats your ace, and you keep going and going and going. Or what you can do in that game is you can play a two and it clears it. And so the first one to get gets rid of all their cards is the president in the next round. They need to make a blah, 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 blah. So scout is similar to that. And if you've ever played like, I don't know, rummy or gin rummy or some variation of that, you're trying to do runs or pairs. I guess sets is the other term for it. So like three threes or four fours or five fives. Or runs. A run is like a two, three, four, five, six. But the catch here in this game is once the cards are dealt out, you can't rearrange the order that those cards are in your hand. But what's unique about these cards is you can turn them upside down and there's different numbers on the bottom side. So you kind of hold them out in your hand and you have, oh, let me see here. Oh, there's a six, seven, eight, nine. Hey, that's pretty good. Oh, look, there's three threes. But wait a minute, on the upside down portion of these cards, there's like, five fives altogether and oh wait a minute there's three sevens split across the whole deck if i bring those together and take out this one two three and oh i can play that and then i'm gonna have five twos that'll come together by the end of the hand and then i can play those and i'll be out super quick so that's kind of the thought process you're going through as you get dealt this hand of cards so what's what else is interesting is so you start playing right and to begin the play you it's called a show you take let's say a two, three, four, you put that on the table, then is the other person going to play something higher than that? Any set of that number of cards beats any run of that number of cards, and any higher number of cards beats any lower number of cards, if that makes sense. So a two, three, four beats a pair of tens, and a pair of, or three threes would beat a two, three, four, for instance. So if the other player can't beat that, they have to scout. They got to pay a scout buck, and they can grab either the left or right card on that. And when they scout one of these cards, then you can insert that card anywhere in your hand. Oh, so now maybe instead of having all these cards separate, you got the magical five that's going to connect the one, two, three, four with the six, seven, eight. And you got this giant run you can play, boom, and you can throw a bunch of your cards out there. So a lot of interesting decisions, a teeny tiny rules overhead, very similar mechanisms to uh, card games you might already know, even at drinking parties with your friends back in college, you might already know the rules to this game uh, pretty much. Sarah and I played this one over and over and over again. We had a lot of fun playing it. Um, We talked about Castle of Burgundy, the card game with its huge footprint. This game has the tiniest of footprints. You could play it on an airplane, on one of those little teeny tiny tray tables on an airplane. Be no problem to play this thing at all. Had a lot of fun playing this one. I highly recommend it. Just like every other person that's ever played this game, Scout. What a joy. And Chris is already shaking his head at me. It's going to be his time to crush me down in smithereens. No, but not till I get to talk about it first. Because <laughs> no, Please do. Because I also got a chance to play Scout last week. And this was on my top games I want to play this year list at the beginning of the year. And it is one of the best games I've played this year. I had such a fun time playing it. Now, I played it three player. One of the things that Adam didn't mention is like, if you can't beat the set or run that's out there, you scout one of those cards and the other person gets a dollar for it. A dollar turns into a point at the end of the round. Uh, in a three player game, the way it works is that if all the, all the other players get around and nobody else can beat that thing, they just are scouting, then that person wins the hand. And what that means is that that person doesn't get any negative points for the cards left in their hand. The other players do get negative points. And so they may not even end up with any points. They could end up negative in that round. And then you play a number of rounds equal to the number of players. Adam, what I'm curious about in a two-player game, how does that work? How, what's what's the end round trigger in a two-player game? It's similar. So in this case, everybody starts with three scout bucks. You pay one to scout, just like you said. After you pay one to scout, you get to go again. So you can either scout again or you can show. Okay, that makes sense. So right after you scout, you can 
you can play again or if you still can't beat it you just keep paying your bucks once you're out of your three scout bucks if you can't scout or beat what's currently out there then that ends the round okay that sounds that sounds great and that was one of my questions about it because i I think i'm going to pick this game up but i was wondering if it'd be a good two-player game it's great at two one of the other cool things is everybody has a scout and show token that you can use once per game or per hand not in a two-player game. Not in the two. That doesn't exist in two-player. But in a three-player game, you do. So every once in a while, you'll get this lucky thing where you can kind of do a really clever move, where you can scout, take the card, and then show a bigger hand and stick everybody else with it. This game is so clever. Adam mentioned the effect that there's different numbers on the top and bottom of the card. This is just that when you first get dealt your hand, you get to make a choice whether you use the top or the hand or the bottom of the hand. And that seems like such a silly choice, but because of the nature of this card kind of planning out you know, you, you can't change the card, the order of the cards throughout. It's actually a really fun and impactful choice. And it's cool. You can't feel like, hey, I just got stuck with a crappy hand. You have a variety of, of things to look at. This game is just so much fun for what is a kind of standard family card weight rule set and production. I should mention that there is a theme on this. It is that you are competing circus owners and you're scouting the people. But the way it's represented, they're colorful cards and each of the numbers has a little name underneath it. And then like their profession, like it might be like an acrobat or like the ringleader or whatever. Trapeze artist or trampoline professional. Yeah. And I know that doesn't sound like much theme, but for me, I had fun with it. I had fun hey, I'm going to scout that ringleader and then I'm going to play out the circus where I've got a ringleader and a lion tamer and an acrobat. Yeah. Uh, So I enjoyed the little bit of theme, even though a lot of people say that there's no theme to this game. Chris, are you excited? Because we are definitely playing this in Sedona in two weeks. (laughs) I may go out for a smoke break. I don't even smoke. (laughs) No, I, 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 this is the type of game that is less than zero interest to me so i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cast shade on this thing unnecessarily because of my personal taste i mean i'm glad you guys liked it it um it looks colorful and there's a circus now listen we'll we'll play it when we're just out waiting for food at lunch because it'll take us 15 minutes to play through and you can suffer through 15 minutes and who knows maybe you'll enjoy it you didn't think you'd like shamans and you you dug that game Let's give it a try. I think you'll, I think you, I think you might like it. You never know. There's a good chance you won't though. You never know. (laughs) You never know. All right. Well, the game that's been on my table this week is Votes for Women. This is uh, designed by Tori Brown and published by Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle sent us a review copy of this game. Now, I'm the only one of us that, that has had a chance to play this yet, but Chris and Adam have both expressed some interest. So I do plan to send it on to them. You might hear more about this game coming up. Votes for Women is essentially a card based war game even though it's not about war it's about women fighting for the right to vote in the united states uh, from the you know late 1800s to the mid 1900s a right that was just available to women just over 100 years ago believe it or not so um, that shows how recent our history is still evolving and, and we still have a lot to grow in this country a couple interesting things about this game that I want to mention right from the bat uh, before we get into the, into the mechanisms. The, the game box is is pretty neat. It's got a picture of what looks like the Statue of, of Liberty walking across the United States, but it's illustrated in a way that looks like an old like 1905 newspaper illustration. So it, it really feels of the time that you're representing here. And when you open up this box before you look at any of the components, there's a bunch of sheets of paper on the top here. And these paper are all actual historical artifacts about the suffrage movement, which is women fighting for the right to vote. And uh, so there's there's old newspaper clippings for and against the movement. There's old articles. There's um, you know drafts of, of laws that were passed. Really, really interesting stuff that immediately brought me into, wow, this is a lot that I don't know about this part of American history, believe it or not. Like this was obviously huge and it was fought for for a long time. And yet I, I really didn't have a lot of these details. So pretty interesting way to just get brought into the theme of a game. I would I would love to see more games do that, you know, whether it's historical, whether it's even fiction games. If you want to introduce me to the world, give me some artifacts from that world. They don't need to be there. They're not gameplay mechanisms, but boy, they're going to get me into the theme a little bit. So that was pretty cool intro. Now, the way this game plays is, as I mentioned, it's kind of a kind of like a historical war game. Some games that you guys might compare it to, you've played Watergate. Watergate is a card-driven push-and-pull game. It's a little bit of a different mechanism, but essentially on your turn, you're playing a card. It's going to shift something. The other person plays a card. It's going to maybe shift something back or give them a little bit of a win condition. Votes for Women works the same way, but basically what you're fighting for here is you're trying to get influence across the United States, and you're either playing the suffragists or you're playing the opposition. 
The suffragists have some campaigners that are going to be moving around the country, and they're going to be putting influence cubes out on different states. And you have all you know, 50 states of the country represented, but it's separated into, I think, six different regions, and each region has eight states in it, something like that. Then you also have the opposition is doing basically the same thing. They have campaigners, they're moving around and they're doing the same thing. But when you move into a state and you put, when you put influence there, if somebody else has influence there, instead of placing an influence, you'd remove an influence. So it is very much that push and pull where like, hey, I've got three influence in this state and then somebody else comes in and adds two influence, but they're really just removing two of my influence. Both sides has their own unique pile of cards that all represent usually real historical fact, uh, you know, situations, events people and each of these cards is going to have they're, they're kind of multiple use because they either can you can use it for the event that's played on it on your turn you're going to have seven cards in a turn and this game is played over six turns what what they call turns here is actually rounds but uh, you're going to play six cards and then that round is going to be over and both players are going to go back and forth and play these cards but the deck is stacked where there's like a big pile of early cards mid cards and late cards so you're not going to get the same cards in the same order but you're going to go through the early cards before you get to the mid cards and that the power changes and the situation changes and they kind of change with the history too right like the types of events that had happened early are going to be relevant to that time period most of the cards are going to let you put influence cubes out on the board. But one of the other ways that this game, the, the way that the, the suffragists win in this game is they have to do two things. They have to send the 19th Amendment to the states to vote on it. And to do that, there are, there are I think it's five or six little cylinders that they have to get placed across the bottom of the board. So until they do that, they cannot win the game. But if they are able to do that, then they have to get enough votes in 36 states. So they have to have majority uh, influence in 36 states. The way that the opposition wins is they either prevent that amendment from going to vote in Congress. So if that hasn't happened by the end of the sixth round, they win automatically. Or if it does happen and they have majority in at least 13 states, then they win. So you can see the opposition's job seems a little bit easier, but I think that's well countered out by the power of the suffrages, card abilities, and things like that. So yeah, basically what you're doing is like you're either putting cubes out, you're trying to put these little tokens out to get the um, amendment pushed to state, or there are other things that'll let you like draw more cards from your deck, uh, you know, discard cards to draw cards, which is going to help you get to the more powerful cards faster. Uh, there's other two other really cool mechanisms here, and that is that there are some special action cards you can win in this game. One is that there's going to be nine different state cards played out in every game. The first person to get four influence cubes in one of those states gets to immediately pick up this card, and it's, an, it's a free action they can use at any point that they want to. And those are a little bit more unique as far as what the actions do. And then there's also these, I forget what they're called now, but they're like strategy cards, I think. And strategy cards are going to be bid on at the beginning of the round. One of the things you're going to be picking up during this game is campaign buttons. And at the beginning of the round, the suffragists can bid how many campaign buttons they want to. And if the if the opposition doesn't bid outbid them, then the suffragist gets a strategy card. If they do get outbid, then the opposition gets a strategy card. And these are also extra actions. So these are the, some of the ways you're going to get a little bit of a leg up. And these can be pretty powerful as well. So the game is, it's a back and forth. You're, you're playing cubes out, trying to get at least four cubes in the place that have states. Once the 19th Amendment goes to, goes to Senate, then you basically take every state that has four cubes on it and you either put a check mark if it's four cubes from the suffragists or you put an X if it's four cubes from the opposition. Then you're going to sit there and fight back and forth until one of those two things happen, the 30, 36 states on the suffragist side or 13 on the opposition side. But if you get to the end of the sixth round and the 19th Amendment has been put to a vote, then it's basically a dice roll, literally. You're going to go to each state. Each person is going to roll based on the number of um supporters they have and some other rules that happen and they're going to they're basically going to add the dice roll to the supporters they've got i didn't mention that a lot of the cards actually give you dice rolls so like a lot of the effects they're going to put cubes out are going to be based on dice rolls you have as well so there's like d4s d6s and i think d8s in this box that are going to give you different um, abilities and roles um, and that's the game uh, it, it played pretty quickly it's really a two-player game but they do have three-player and four-player variants in it there's also a solar variant that's very good uh, in fact, the Oppobot deck is essentially it, it represents what the opposition deck does, and it just automatically plays cards out with a little bit of dice roll to indicate where they're playing and stuff like that. And it's very mean. Uh, it seems to always take away the cubes that I put out, no matter where I place them on the board. So that's it. This is a historical game. It is. It does feel a lot like a war game. In fact, Adam, a game you might know that's a little very similar to it is Twilight Struggle. 
uh, feels very similar to Twilight Struggle. I was going to ask if it has that same kind of feel. It seems like it did, or maybe um, maybe a little bit of the Expanse too, with the cubes off and on. And um... yeah, but I, you know the the Expanse though. I think I think the the card row and and the choice of actions you take there definitely, and, and the fact that you're it's man, it it, is, it doesn't feel like the Expanse to me, but okay. I can see what you're saying. But the, but Twilight Struggle did feel just like a more complex version of this. Okay, uh, so it's a it's it's, it's a historical game. My question for myself was, hey, I'm interested in this theme. Is this game going to be fun to play? And I was pleasantly surprised. It was pretty fun to play. I will say that it does get a little tiresome. A lot of the actions you're taking is place three cubes here, take three cubes off here, place three cubes here, take two cubes off here. But it goes really quick. I think Danielle and I played this game two player the first time and probably got it knocked out in 60 minutes. And it might go even a little bit quicker on a subsequent play. So it plays pretty quickly. It do, again, it does feel a lot like Watergate where it's like, hey, place a token here, move this token up one space or move it back down one space. But but fiddling around with all those little cubes all over the place wasn't a very fun action to take. But there were some moments of cleverness. There were times when you wanted to hold back a certain card. Some of the cards are going to have like an ongoing ability, like you can play the Civil War card for the opposition. And then it blocks the uh, suffragists from doing certain things, but they have cards in their hand that will only activate if the Civil War is in effect, or they can't play a card if the Civil War is in effect. So there's some interesting historical um, activities that are happening during this. I would say it is fun. It's a a fun two-player game. It was a pretty fun solo game. A little bit tense, except you get up to the final, the ending point. I never had the game finished where you didn't get to the end of the sixth round, maybe just because we weren't very good at it. And then you're just rolling dice. So then that frustrated me a little bit, right? You get to the end of the game and you basically just, it's a roll off to see who wins. Now you are going to have a little bit of a leg up if you've managed to get more influence tokens out on the remaining states. You can also play some ongoing cards that might give you a little bit of a benefit in that end voting thing. But um, I did feel like we would play through this hour game and then get to the end and there was kind of a luck of a roll that as to how it went. So that was a little bit of a turnoff for me. The fiddliness of the cubes was a turnoff for me. Um, but it was a fun game. It's a game I'd be happy to play, but not one that I probably would be searching out. And and I think that's partly because I just don't like that two-player head-to-head push-and-pull game, right? Like Watergate, I think, is going to do the same thing after a couple plays for me, is it just starts to feel like, okay, well, it's the same actions. It's just really the order that you're playing them in, and how clever can you be with that? Sometimes you can be clever, but you know, I don't know. I, I don't think this has staying power for me, but it was a it was a pretty fun activity. This is a game that's absolutely fascinating to me, and I can't wait to try it. I think my two concerns are kind of the same ones that you laid out, Tim. One is replayability, and the other is that it seems like this dice rolling that kind of comes in toward the end seems completely out of nowhere. It doesn't seem in keeping with anything else in the game, which all seems to be you know, very historically accurate and very much based on the history of the, the events there. And then all of a sudden you got this dice rolling and that just doesn't seem to make any, any sense to me anyway. So, Well, what they call that, Chris, is final voting. And so the idea basically that you're done campaigning, it's now time to just let the votes happen yeah. and see where they land. And that's kind of how an election goes. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that it didn't feel thematic. It just didn't feel like I had a lot of control over it. You know, there, so there's a little bit of a difference there. Yeah, and but I mean, overall, the whole idea of this game is really quite interesting. I love games that teach you something. You know, we were talking before about cards that give you some flavor text that give you some information you didn't have before. And this is a big chunk of history that a lot of people just don't know a ton about. I don't know a ton about it. But what's really fascinating to me is that even though the suffrage movement started in the 1800s, you know, like you said, Tim, that didn't actually come to fruition. We didn't actually get the ratification by the states and, you know, et cetera, until I think, what, around 1920, 1920. which means there are there are people alive today that were alive when women did not have the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And that is astonishing to me. And if this is a this game is a great reminder of just how close in time we are to some stuff that is truly horrifying. That's amazing, Chris, to think about that. This game, I've had my eye on it. It looks it looks delightful. Just the aspect of history that comes into it. The, uh, you know, I was looking at some of the cards here online and hearing you talk about it, Tim, it looks like there's an opportunity to learn just tons of stuff about a very crucial point in history to me. And it's, I don't know, I guess it shouldn't be mind blowing, but it is that women didn't have the right to vote and some of the circumstances associated with that and the, the struggle for that and the, the ongoing struggle today for women's rights is, uh, I think this game just has a lot of value and a lot of relevance today. And this is one I can't 
wait to get and show it to my daughters and have them play it as well. Yeah. And I think it is approachable too. like it is kind of a family weight game, but it, you know, it was fun for me as a strategy gamer too. It didn't, it didn't feel like there was no control. It didn't feel like I wasn't doing anything interesting. In fact, it actually felt like quite a fun, you know, again, experience while I was doing it, but it was very easy to teach. I think I taught Danielle, uh, you know, five minutes to get her in and playing the game. So yeah, pretty, pretty approachable game. And for what is essentially a war game, I think this does use the same formula that a lot of other war games do. It was a much better theme to me because I don't, you know, like going out and just trying to take territories by, you know, blowing up their their troops or whatever, you know, is just a less interesting historical theme. It just feels overplayed. So this was kind of a cool theme. Probably the failing of it from a fun perspective had more to do with the fact that to be historically accurate, you got to get the 50 states out there and managing cubes over 50 states just got to mm. be a little bit like you know, redundant, uh, or, or, you know, just kind of, you know, it it just felt like repeated the same types of actions. Um, Mm -hmm. so if it had been in a smaller, maybe if they just did the regions of the board and it was like seven or eight that you were dealing with, that might be fun too, but yeah, whatever. I can't complain about it. It it was a pretty fun time. Well, on my table this week, I have had the oh so delightful game distilled designed by Dave Beck and published by Paverson games which I finally got my physical copy of. And we did a review of this a few weeks back that uh, folks may have listened to. And if you want to hear more detail on it, that'd be a great place to get some. Interestingly, I was in Ireland when the delivery came in and I got the text on my phone, the delivery notice saying that your package got delivered. And as I was getting it, I was walking across this parking lot having just had dinner and I looked out across this river in a grassy field And there was this building, it was this giant modern distillery, a whiskey distillery in Ireland with these huge windows through which you could see these beautiful copper pot stills. And I just knew I was in the right place at the right time. But got home, opened it up, played a game this weekend with my wife, who generally is a complete hater of learning new games played this one and immediately was raving about how much she enjoyed it and what a clever game it was and how much fun she had with it. So I was very happy to hear that. I, of course, already knew that because I played it and had a great time with it. I was crossing my fingers and hoping that it was going to be as much fun on the second play and in particular using the physical copy of this game. And number one, it was just as fun. And number two, the physical edition of this game is great. The player boards are these really nice two-layer boards where you got little places to put your cubes in that they're going to stay in place, and you slot in your tasting card that has the the liquors that you're going to be able to make over the course of the game, and just the whole thing is very nicely done. I did spring for the extra neoprene mat, which isn't a strict necessity, but boy, it sure does make the experience better, and it gives you a place to put all your cards because if there is one... I won't call it a shortcoming in this game, but if there is one thing that makes this game a bit of a a bit of a hassle, there are a lot of cards out there. You have row after row after row of cards and piles of cards. I think it's actually surprisingly streamlined for the number of cards that are out there and play in this game. But just having a place to organize those on the neoprene mat, I thought was really nice, but super fun. I appreciate the uh, the degree to which they pulled in a lot of non-standard drinks. They have, of course, whiskey and gin, things like that that everybody knows about. But they also have cachaca and baijo and aquavit and other ones that, you know, a lot of people just don't know about. And I thought that made it a lot of fun. Also adds a little bit more variety. And the Kickstarter version also came with some extra persona cards, which are your distillers that have different goals and different abilities. And I thought all that added up to a very nice package. I'm actually debating whether or not I should go ahead and spring for the Africa and Middle East expansion for this game. I will probably give it a few more tries before I decide to do that. But every indication so far is that this is going to be a game that has some staying power, streamlined, relatively quick, lots of complex yet interesting decisions to be made. And I am definitely loving Distilled. Chris, you're making me regret that I wasn't able to play this one with you guys. I did see that picture of all the cards and stuff. How is the setup with this thing? It's actually not that bad because there is pretty well-defined, you know, you take out these stacks of cards and then you pull this stack off and this stack off and this stack off. You put them in the right places and 
I think if you organize your game well, I mean, some people just toss cards into a box. If you do that, you're going to spend an hour setting this thing up. If you organize your cards nicely and take a few minutes to clean up at the end of the game, you can have it all set so that you can pull it out pretty quickly. There's also a very nice storage solution by Game Trays in this, where there is essentially a little cubby for each of those stacks of cards, which will also help keep things organized nicely and make it so that setup will be a lot easier if you, you know, if you manage to, again, exercise a little bit of discipline and actually use the storage solution the way it's intended. But I, I don't think that's too tough to do. Well, I'm going to put in a request for you to bring this one to Sedona so I can take a look. I'd love to. Chris, uh, how long did a two-player game take? It took us somewhere between two to three hours. Wow. Whoa. Through no fault of the game. The reason it took that long is because... My wife was like whipping out her calculator and doing like <laughs> long division and math to try to figure out the optimal move on some of oh these things. God. And so there there were some very long turns. It did not need to be. Once we got once we got cruise and it wasn't too bad. It, although uh, that's actually the point where she realized that she could game out, you know, these I- ideal turns. I I would say you could probably whip through a game of this even with the physical, even with setup and all that in hour hour and a half you guys make a good couple yeah i was actually <laughs> kind of curious if this would end being down like an under four hour game just from my 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 memory of it was that it went pretty quickly so i was wondering if two players that knew how to play it if you could get it done in like less than an hour but uh, some couples might <laughs> the other uh, the other comment i had is i'm just looking at the physical production here and you mentioned that that play mat for the market mm-hmm. and i love that I, it is a shame that they don't have a board for that i know it's not strictly necessary but i just kind of hated big piles of cluttered cards out on the table where yeah you know we, we talked about that with uh uh what's it called um endless winter as well had the same endless winter i was i was actually thinking of that exact yeah. thing it's the same issue you know there, there's no need for it but man it sure gives a it creates a nicer table presence and creates a much better play experience, I think. Yeah, well, so a second vote for me if you feel like putting this in your luggage and, and uh, toting it down to sit on. I'd love to play it again in person. Sounds Definitely. I've got one quick note, one tiny future take and a little correction. There are so many mushroom-themed games out there. The one I mentioned is called Mycelia, and that's by Splitstone Games. Not quite yet on Kickstarter coming 2023. There is uh, some beautiful pictures out if you search around the web. Um, and I think Split Zone is that beautiful little succulent that looks like a, a little rock and native to somewhere in Africa. I want to say Namibia. Anyway, uh, that's Mycelia by Splitstone Games. That's the one I'm looking forward to with some unique looking art and uh, table presence and a little triangular panels for the the board game the, the game board itself yeah yeah that's funny because this is not even the same game that i yeah that i thought you were talking about because a different mushroom game just came to kickstarter <laughs> yesterday so <laughs> that is hilarious i am still waiting though when is the the mushroom zombie game going to come out that's got to be coming soon it's gonna be coming soon yeah <laughs> all right well thanks i think i'll wrap up our conversation this week if you would like if you enjoy the show please rate and review. tim you gotta say i hope you enjoyed hanging with us fun guys <laughs> you gotta say that All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap up this conversation this week. I hope you enjoyed hanging up with us. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed hanging out with us fun guys tonight. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> if if you enjoy the show please rate and review us on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts until next week take care everybody good night all bye bye 